0: Reading is coming from John chapter 4, um, verses 1 to 26. Yeah. Um, it's called Jesus Talks to the Woman at the Well. You can follow in your Bibles or look on the screen. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who, was, who baptized his disciples, uh, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired uh, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. "'Sir,' the woman said, "'you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. "'Where can you get this living water? "'Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, "'as did also his sons and his flocks and herds?' "'Jesus answered, "'Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, "'but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst.' Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he.
1: as we uh, as we pray father thank you for this opportunity again that we have to uh, meet together here in this place and uh, thank you for that uh, precious time that we've already enjoyed of just being able to dwell in your presence to just contemplate you ponder you just think about you and father that's our prayer and if we're thinking about other things then please remove those distractions and just help us to really focus in on you just like the writer of Hebrews talked about that we don't fix our eyes on Jesus the one who's the author and the perfecter of our faith help us to do that tonight help us to remove stuff that we know we have to deal with maybe tomorrow or tonight just help us to have the discipline to put that aside and just really tune into your heart tonight and uh, it's been good to be with you Lord and how precious it is that you love to be with us so continue to meet us as we enjoy this time together and speak to us Lord, open our ears and our eyes, our hearts that so we want to see Jesus tonight and uh, we just look to you now and pray that you'll teach us the things you want us to see from your word and we ask this in your precious name, Amen. Amen. Um, a few years ago now, uh, Rosemary and I um, had the opportunity to uh, travel overseas and on a tour and uh, the tour was through parts of Europe and it sort of terminated at Rome and we spent a few days in Rome and um, uh, before we flew back to Brisbane and Rome as you know if you've been there and as you've read it just it just oozes history there's just so much you can do and uh, we just had a few days there to have a look around and but one of the many intriguing and fascinating sights that you'll see in Rome, and I don't know whether many people know about this, is the multiple numbers of fountains that are in that city. Fountains, uh, water fountains, uh, and, and these 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 fountains, by the way, are clean. It's cool water. It's pure. You can, you know, it's safe to drink. I wish someone had told us that instead of buying bottled water. Because you don't need to buy bottled water in Rome. You can go to these places. And the amazing thing about Rome is that these, uh, these fountains and these aqueducts have been part of Roman life for over 2,000 years, you know. And they've been destroyed and they've been rebuilt. They've probably been decommissioned. They've been reconditioned, you know, and all that sort of recommission and so on. But it's been going on for 2,000 years, so it's a big part of their whole lifestyle there. Um, I read a little tourist brochure that, that has some interesting information, which I didn't know about. Have a listen to this. In modern day Rome, you can find around two and a half thousand fountains, which are called nazoni." Now, if anyone's Italian, though, I don't know if I've got the right pronunciation, nizzoni. Does that sound right? Anyone Italian here that knows Italian? Good, I can bluff you no i won 't do that Nozoni and it means you won't you won 't guess what it means actually, could you guys put that first slide up thanks. Um, Nozoni means big nose so there you go when you 're in Rome, you can drink from a big nose. Um, this is one of the fountains that's, this is the trevi fountain it 's one of the, the more sort of well known fountains in in, uh, in, uh, in, in excuse me, in Rome, Um, fantastic place, you're not allowed to swim it. people were trying to, people accidentally fell into it when we were there because, you know, accidentally on purpose because it was so hot and the police were blowing whistles and telling people to get out of this thing, so that's one, just keep going through it guys, thanks, there it is again in the daytime, I think the same fountain there and these are the nozones, the big noses that you can drink from, There you go. And people were filling up their bottles. Okay, just keep that one there for a sec. Let me just keep reading through here. Um, So, while many don't realise that these fountains contain clean water, that's safe for drinking. This is the exact same water that comes out of the taps of Rome's houses. So if you're touring the city on a hot summer's day, there's no reason to go and buy bottled water. Just stop off at a fountain. The first Nozoni was created in 1874 when only 20 of these were in existence. Um, the fountains can be found in the city. 20 of those fountains can be found in the city. Now there's two and a half thousand of them. So if you're in Rome, any tour guide your, local, your tour guide or local should be able to point you to the direction of a Nozoni. And we found these all over the place, but we didn't realise that it was safe to drink from. So we had a go at it but a little bit wary about drinking water from these places, so we just continued to drink bottled water. So there it was. But it was very interesting to see people just like this woman here um, and and scores of them in these big fountains just continually filling up their water bottles from these fountains uh, that were spread all over Rome. And um, uh, we were there in the summer. Uh, It was hot, obviously. And we saw a lot of thirsty people in Rome uh, who made good of these, these, these free drinking water fountains, uh, or these Nazonis. And of course, they had to keep coming back and refilling their bottles. Drink them, come back and refill them again from these particular fountains. You know, in John chapter 4, um, we have this amazing account of Jesus meeting a woman, not at a fountain but at a well at a small village called Sikah in Samaria. She too was thirsty and she came to refill, to refill her water container as well. Now this well was situated um, on a parcel of significant land to the Jews, to, the, to Israel, sorry. It was a significant land to Israel for it had been purchased by Jacob and then given to his sons in Genesis chapter thirty three eighteen 18 to 20. You can read about that. Uh, but it was also in this, in this same area, it was where the bones of Joseph were laid after, after Israel's exodus uh, from Egypt. And you can read about that in Joshua 24 and verse 32. Samaria. Samaria... Um, was by and large, a, you could say, was a, was a thirsty land back then, thirsty land. It had no major rivers uh, to supply water, but it had only small streams or waddies that were only useful during the wet season when they would fill, and then they would dry out, and then they'd be dry for months on end. So the presence of Jacob's well uh, was a welcomed and well-used resource in that area. And the interesting thing is, if you remember back to last week to John chapter 3, the Lord Jesus, as he was for Nicodemus in John 3, just so happened to be in the area of this dry and thirsty land, which one might say was also inhabited by dry and thirsty people. Jesus just happened to be there in a place inhabited by dry and thirsty people, I wonder if you could think of another place that you might use to describe it you know, in those words. Do you think Australia is a dry and thirsty land? And Jesus, and the scripture said, but Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, tired as he was, yes, Jesus did get tired. I love the fact that the scripture makes it perfectly clear about Jesus's humanity as well as his deity he was fully human but he was fully God and he used to get tired and he got thirsty that's why he was there that's why he had to rest and all those things the scripture will always acknowledge him that way his deity and his humanity so Jesus tired and weary and thirsty from his journey been traveling all morning to get to this place he decides to take a break at Jacob's well And uh, it was going to be the perfect backdrop and the perfect talking point for what he wanted to offer this dry and thirsty woman who came to draw water that day. And the Bible tells us it was about the sixth hour. And most scholars agree that that means it was around about midday. Depending on what commentary you read, some might say, well, no, it was six at night. And then they argue about that. But forget about all that. Most of them, i have gone with the majority, they say it was about six. Uh, sorry, it was about 12 midday. That's when Jesus was there at the heat of the day. But I want us to consider something else with this. I want us to have a particular uh, look at, at or note, at, note verse 4 why how and why the scriptures make this point why does it make this point let me just read through there again starting at verse 3 when the Lord learned of this he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee now he had to go through Samaria so he came to a town in Samaria called Sika near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey sat down by the well it was about the sixth hour so in verse 4 it says, now we had to go through Samaria. What, what does that really mean? See, what it really means is that it was necessary for Jesus. It was necessary for him. Or I, thought, I like this one better, this explanation better. Jesus felt the need to go through Samaria to reach Galilee. It wasn't the only way to get into Galilee it wasn't the only way from Jerusalem to Cana and Galilee where he was heading but it was the most direct route it was going from south to north straight through and if you drew a line from Jerusalem all the way through it would go right through into Sikah and so on and to Cana Um, so it was the most direct route going from south to north other Jews who needed to make the same journey they would not dare go through Samaria. What they would do is that they'd they'd take a, a left turn, a right turn and go east. They'd cross the River Jordan. They'd go into a whole new province, another province altogether, bypass skirting Samaria, go right up and then come in that way, back into Galilee from that way. They would do a great big bypass. Jesus went right through the middle. It was the most direct way. But he had other reasons as well. So that's what they would do to other Jews to other Jews the Samaritans were an unclean race of idolatrous half-breeds who had intermarried with uh, Gentiles their religion to the Jews was corrupt and confused and these same people that the Samaritans are the ones who set up their own temple they'd set up their own temple on Mount Gerizim to rival the one in Jerusalem. So there was a lot of bitterness, a lot of hatred and animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans back in those days. And there's a whole lot of other history that you can read about as to why. I read somewhere even that the Jews, some of the Jews had gone up and they'd burned the temple. Uh, don't, don't know much more about that, but I remember reading that they actually burnt the temple in, in, uh, in Mount Gerizim. A lot of hatred, a lot of animosity between Jews and Samaritans. However, however, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Saviour of the world, under submission to the Father and led by the Holy Spirit, felt the need to go into Samaria on his way to Cana in Galilee. And I want to suggest that it was because he knew of an appointment that he needed to. keep he needed to keep with a certain samaritan woman who was spiritually parched and thirsting for true satisfaction and fulfillment and jesus i believe knew that he had to keep an appointment with this person isn't that interesting have a think about that for a minute And I can't help but asking this question. But would Jesus really make that kind of an effort just for one person? Would he travel to the time of being almost exhausted in the heat of the day? To go to a place that was unpopular? Just to meet one, would he do that? One person? What do you think? Let me answer it this way. When you think about it, he did that for you didn't he and he did it for me and I thank God he did it for me and I thank God he did it for you yes he did line you up he had an appointment with you if you're here tonight and you love the Lord Jesus Christ he had an appointment with you before you knew it (laughs) he lined you up and he made that effort to meet you I just think that's beautiful I just think that's God don't you this is who he is this is the God we worship this is the Jesus that we had love and adore. He's the one. He's the one that's described in Scripture by this parable. Listen to this. In Luke chapter 15 and verse seven, 3 to 7 says this. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? That's an interesting phrase, won't go into it now. Ask me afterwards, we'll talk about it. But one person. And as I said this morning, you know, the reality is that when you came to Jesus, there was a party going on in heaven for you. There was a great celebration. And I believe there's one more yet to come. (laughs) Yeah. But what a celebration. The angels in heaven rejoiced over one sinner. Read about the lost coin, I think, which is the next parable after that. You know, our theme or our focus this year, our theme is what? It's working with God. Thank you. So that's our theme or it's our focus this year is working with God. You know, and if we're serious about doing that, then I want us to look briefly at what what, uh, I would describe here in John chapter 4 as three principles. I'm going to call them three principles tonight. That the Lord Jesus practiced himself... And holds up for all of us to initiate, sorry, to, to imitate, to copy him. He practiced three that I want to talk about here tonight, and I believe he's saying for us, you need to do the same. Here's the first one, and I'll try and go through it as briefly as I can uh, without. Yeah, I'll just go through it briefly as I can. So the first one is this Jesus dismissed cultural barriers and prejudice. That's the first one. He dismissed cultural barriers and prejudices. You know, again, I think this, this is what I thought about. What if Jesus held the same prejudices and had the same attitude toward the Samaritans that most of his countrymen had? Would that have changed things? What if he had that same attitude that so many others had against the Samaritans? What if he had that same attitude toward you and me? You know, where, where would you and I be today if Jesus had the same prejudices that some of us might have toward other people groups, other cultures, other races? Where would we be today if Jesus was like that? You know, if Jesus was like that, I'm pretty sure I could say that firstly, in reference to John chapter 4, he would not have gone to Samaria why well because secondly he would not have even come into this world if he had those prejudices if he had the same attitude that some of us might have he wouldn't have even come here and the woman at the well and all of us we would still be in our sin we'd still be dead in our sin and Paul describes this condition to us very clearly in Ephesians when he says these words, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature objects of wrath and verse 12 we were without hope and without god in the world what a what a place to be in and that's what some of us were in and and i might be speaking to someone tonight and you're still in that place And I want to say clearly, if you don't know Jesus tonight as your Lord and Saviour, you're in this place. You're in this space that Paul's described tonight. And you know what the good news is? You don't have to stay there. If you stay there, it's your choice. Can I say it's a silly choice? You don't have to be there. Let me keep going. Listen to what God's saying here in his word here. You know, what if Jesus had been like that? But thanks be to God, he wasn't like that. Thanks be to God, he was like John 3.16, which says, God so loved the world, say it with me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life now here's some homework folks if you don't know if you don't know that off by heart then that's your homework for tonight learn that verse John three sixteen. you need to know that because this is who God is that is the gospel in a nutshell I probably said that before Jesus wasn't like that like us he was like John three sixteen. he dismissed cultural barriers he dismissed prejudices of, of his day he went into the into the land of Samaria under the spirits leading and engaged in a conversation with a Samaritan woman not just was she a Samaritan she was a Samaritan woman and you dare not do that a Samaritan woman a woman who chose to collect water at a time of the day when other women and other people were less likely to so that she might avoid the gossips and the judgmental stares over her immoral lifestyle over her immoral and thirsting for truth lifestyle and there's so many people like that in that category today you know she did not expect to meet Jesus but Jesus expected to meet her she wasn't expecting to meet him but he was expecting to meet her you know what, I can't but I just wonder as you were growing up whether you were told to avoid certain people. You don't go, no, don't go anywhere, don't have anything to do with those people. You don't go to those places. I, I'm not talking about using common sense and keeping yourself safe. I'm not talking about the stranger danger stuff. I'm not talking about keeping our children safe. I'm talking about maybe it was just simply a matter of prejudice that's influenced you you see Jesus dismissed all that stuff he dismissed all of those barriers and dear friends here tonight you know if we're serious about working with God to impact a dry and thirsty world a dry and thirsty world by the way that he has put you in and me then we'll need to do the same as Jesus did First principle. Second principle is this, that Jesus patiently and persistently worked through diversions and deflections. What do I mean by that? I love how Leon Morris describes that. He says this, um, a feature of this story is the way the woman persistently attempts to avoid the issues that Jesus raises. She's ducking and dodging. All that stuff happens. But just as persistently Jesus brings her back to them, back to them until finally he secures the desired result. And he does. It's interesting. If you were to count this in the scripture, you'll find that six times, six times in this conversation, the woman attempts to deflect the discussion, to throw Jesus off the track. And people do that. You start witnessing to someone and sharing your faith, you will be surprised how they will change the subject, how they, it's just it's part of our human nature. She was doing it. Quickly, up on the slide, you'll see this. Uh, six times in verse 9 she responds defensively in verse 11 to 12 she responds sarcastically in, uh, in verse 15 she responds with denial in verse 17 she responds by changing the subject uh, in verses 19 to 20 she responds by raising a controversial issue and then in verse 25 she responds by using delay tactics all these things happen and you may have struck people who, who carry who do these same kinds of things because I wonder if you've been there, if you've been, you and I have been in that situation. And let me ask you this. I wonder had it been you and I in that situation and in that conversation, I wonder if you and I would simply have walked away a lot earlier than Jesus did, although he didn't, did he? But I wonder if we would simply have walked away a lot earlier just simply dismissing this person as argumentative and even obnoxious. I wonder if we would have done that had we been in his situation. Just arguing with someone and this person doesn't seem to be really engaging with you. And you've got to make the call on that. You've got to, that's not easy to, to make a decision on that. Now I can remember... One conversation that I had many years ago, it's still up here in my mind for some reason and the person's name is still in my mind. Uh, Quite a few years ago this happened. Um, On a regular basis um, we would be required to transport this bloke who was in his 30s for radium treatment and we would pick him up quite regularly and in the end we didn't like taking this guy. Because for some reason, this bloke, he was one of the most obnoxious people you could meet. <laughs> he was cranky. He was difficult. He was a pain. He really was. It was almost like the ambos had to draw straws to go to, to see which one would go to his place to pick him up. And that's what he was like. Here we go again. And then one day, one day partner and I he was the guy that I used to work with he was a Christian too and one day he was driving I was in the back with this guy and we parked in this particular spot at the Royal Brisbane Hospital and the driver got out and walked around and I was in the back with him for quite a while on my own well I was in there for a while on my own and while I was there I just sensed the Lord was prompting me to ask him a question talk with him ask him this question and I was resisting the Lord I was resisting saying God if I ask him that question this guy's going to leap up and he's going to deck me he's going to get even more cranky and he's going to clobber me anyway it seemed that the Lord persisted with me so I said to this man Colin that's his name I said Colin I've noticed over some time now as we've been transporting you I'm picking up some vibes I said something like that and I said and in the end I said mate you seem to be really angry and then I kind of like that a bit in my mind, I don't think I did that, I hope I didn't do that physically but and I said you know you, you seem to be really angry and what surprised me was that he hung his head, he was still sitting on the stretch, he hung his head and he said this, he said I am angry he said I feel like I've been cheated in life he said I have a young wife and child I've been diagnosed with cancer and I may not have long to live and uh, he spoke quietly and softly. And it was, very, it was a very moving moment. And, and, I, uh, and what that did was, was it just opened a door for me to share a little bit of my testimony of how my own mother suffered from terminal cancer at the age of 46. But how she had this incredible assurance of knowing that she was going to be with Jesus forever. How she knew that Jesus loved her. And had her in his hand. And I shared some of that stuff with Colin. And I can't remember now what the result was. I don't remember seeing Colin much after that. But I know this. I had his ear. No, I didn't. God had his ear for that time. He listened. You can tell he was listening to what the Lord was saying through me that day. And you know, I guess when you think about that, I guess this is what working with God is all about, isn't it? It is not it It's just being there. God's put you in places where I could never be. He's put you there so that you can work with him and be there for him and be open for him. Because there's dry and thirsty people where you are. And they need to hear about these things of Jesus. They need to hear about him. You know, as I said before, sometimes it's not easy to know when it's time to politely walk away from a conversation about spiritual things. Or when we need to do as Jesus did here, and that was to patiently and persistently work through the diversions and deflections of a person who may have been deeply hurt. (laughs) Deeply hurt and and constantly beaten down by a self-righteous and judgmental society, as was the case with this woman at the well. That's why it's important to say, God, use me today. Direct my steps. Lay out my itinerary, Lord. I want to follow your agenda today. And then let him lead you. And you'll be surprised. You'll be thrilled as to how he might use you to bring someone across your path. You haven't planned it, but Jesus has. Just be there for him and be yourself for him. The third principle that we see at work in this passage is that Jesus exposed spiritual thirst and then provided living water. You see, in verse 28, after the Lord's loving, persistent uh, persistence, it, it pays off. And uh, there's a breakthrough in verse 28. Look at this. Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Uh, I, I love how Chuck Swindoll, in his book, how he explains this particular verse. Listen to what Chuck Swindoll says. He says, the construction of the Greek sentence, Brendan, you'll love this. The construction of the Greek sentence in verse 29 anticipates a negative response. He couldn't possibly be the Christ, could he? But then the woman presented evidence to suggested, to suggest that she in fact did believe Jesus to be the Messiah. Remarkably, the details she so painfully avoided discussing had become a joyful confirmation of her spiritual hope. Isn't that amazing? What a fantastic observation. The things that she was ducking and dodging and afraid and and, and ashamed to speak about, not that she's airing everything, but she's saying now, hey, I met a man who told me everything that I'd ever done in my life. Could this be the Christ? She's set free now. She's filled with his liberty. She's discovered living water. And she's a new creation. And she's bubbling over. And others can see that. That's why they came out. They saw her life. That she'd changed. Fantastic. And you know, could this be the Saviour? Yeah. And and many of them became many of them came to know the Saviour. Many of them came to know Jesus through her testimony. Because he did become the Saviour of many of them in that town. I wonder the, I wonder tonight, is he your Saviour? Is he? Have you met him tonight? Because you see, Jesus sure became hers. Why not he become yours tonight if he's not already? Look at these words in verse 28. Been leaving her water jar. Leaving her water jar. I love that. Um, and there could be many reasons for that. And there are, again, people who suggest, well, she left it there because, you know, she, Jesus might want to have a drink. And I, I, I think there's something more than that. There are other. There could be other reasons. But I love the fact that this woman had now found true living water that truly quenched a thirst that nothing in this world could. You see, she'd tried everything and it was still thirsty. She'd tried everything and she was still left parched and thirsty. And I wonder that maybe some here tonight you might be able to relate to her in some way. So have you you met the one tonight who freely gives living water? Because you see, your thirst, your spiritual thirst will never be satisfied apart from the God who made you and desires to fill you with his life and fill you with his living water. The, the, The woman leaving the water jar behind, to me, to me signifies that she came to understand that the things of this world are temporal, and that the worldly wells of this life don't satisfy. They just don't. They cannot, they will not relieve the spiritual dehydration that every human being suffers. And I'm going to say that tonight. If there's some amongst us tonight and you haven't met Christ, I'm going to say you're spiritually dehydrated. Because you need living water and you won't find it anywhere other than through Christ. He's the one who gives living water. A lot of spiritually dehydrated people walking around. See, only water, living water can do that. Only Christ can do that. Um, Just before I pray, I want us to look at three questions tonight. And I want, I want to just take a couple of minutes and, and I want you to do this exercise, to do it in your own heart. I'm going to read these questions and you've got some multiple choice answers here and I want to do that now. So if we can have that slide up, thanks. I want you to have a look at these questions. This comes out, by the way, I've got these out of the Serendipity Bible. I want to acknowledge the source. Um, Serendipity Bible, I've got these questions and, and I think they're fantastic. Can I just get you to, to do a little mental checklist yourself? Maybe tick a box. Of one, two, three, or all of them, whatever it is. So here's the question. I want you to think about this and answer this in your own heart before God tonight. So what are you thirsting for most in your life right now? What are you thirsting for most in your life right now? Close friendships? Closeness with God? Acceptance of who I am? Forgiveness? Meaning and purpose in life? Basic survival. Basic survival in life. The second question is this. What do you need to do to relieve your spiritual thirst? What do you need to do to relieve your spiritual thirst? Accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers? Enter into a real relationship with Christ? Seek Jesus' direction in your life. Reach out to people just like Jesus did. Practice more spiritual discipline. Just want you to mentally, in your own heart, tick some of those boxes tonight, just between you and God, no one else. The third one is this, and I'd love you to put this into practice tonight. Third question is this. How would you like this group to pray for you. So, if you belong to a life group, that might be a question that you could ask them or have them answer for you. How would you like this group? Can I make it more personal? How would you like someone in this church tonight to pray for you? Because I believe that there are people here tonight that would love to pray for you if you would like them to. We're not going to force you to do that. But how would you like someone to pray for you? tonight let's pray and as I pray i just got to ask the worship team to come up thanks Father we thank you for this uh, a fantastic story uh, that we've looked at tonight you know, thank you for the one who gives living water that truly quenches the thirst of the spiritual soul in us in each one of us And Father, we know that we live and move amongst people who are trying all kinds of worldly things to fill that void, to quench the thirst, and nothing's working, just just like it was with this woman who had multiple relationships, multiple partners in her life, and yet nothing satisfied her, truly satisfied her, like you did by providing her the living water that she so desperately needed. Thank you that you met her. Thank you that you meet us. And Father, I just pray tonight, if anybody here tonight, then they know that they are spiritually thirsty, that they will reach out to you and draw from you, the one who gives living water. So we thank you that you are here tonight, loving us so deeply, wanting to so change lives. And Father, we pray that you'll touch people here tonight. And bless those who've done this little exercise tonight, Lord. Meet them where they are, we pray. Do those things in their hearts. And Father, to you we'll give all the glory and the praise. And God's people said, Amen. Thanks, folks.